Welcome into the Autzen Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Pramer, Scope on the show as always. And hey, it's mail day. It's hump day. We have got a great mailbag episode for you. A lot to cover on this Wednesday edition of the podcast. Um, Eric, we've got football questions. We've got spring football. We've got football recruiting and basketball from the men's side uh, is also a hot topic because of assistant coach Tony Stubblefield leaving to become the head coach at DePaul. We've also got some transfers out of the program, which has certainly uh, spiked a lot of people's interest of, whoa, what happened there? So we're going to break it all down here on the Ots and Audibles podcast. But first, before we do, want to remind you guys, hey, you can subscribe to DuckTerritory.com for $1 for your first month, $9.95 there after that. Inside Scoop on the Oregon Ducks, a great online message board community, breaking news instantly onto your plat- your, your device, your tablet, your computer, your phone. We've got the entire coverage on DuckTerritory.com of all things Oregon athletics and recruiting, and you can get it for $1 for your first month. thereafter that. And then also I want to remind you guys, make sure to follow us on Stitcher or Spotify or iTunes or Google Podcasts, whatever platform you use to listen to the show. Um, Make sure to hit that follow and subscribe button. Uh, It's free. There's no cost to you and it helps us. All right, let's dive in now to these questions. Um, Let's start Eric with football. All right, first question from at MVH underscore genetics. How does Sean Dollar's injury put pressure on C.J. Verdell and Travis Dye to stay healthy? Can you see the top two running backs staying healthy? And if so, is this a problem as no younger running back would have any significant playing time entering 2022 and Dollars would be coming off an injury? Um, I think it's a good place to start because I, I actually felt one of, if not the most, notable pieces of information that was passed our way over the past week or so. And we should note that we were recording this prior to Tuesday's press conference of Mark Cristobal and defensive players. So there might be some information um, maybe even regarding this, that sort of comes out following um, the time of this recording. So just keep that in mind. If you're listening on Wednesday, maybe some stuff's changed a little bit, but this is being recorded just prior to Cristobal's uh, press conference. But what I was getting at was I think dollars lack availability. I mean, I know we spoke about this, on Friday's show, just kind of reacting to it. I think it's really significant in terms of the short and long-term for this program at the running back position. Now, short-term, I don't necessarily think they're in a huge – like, I don't think the, the position's in a terrible spot for 2021 football season. Right. Like, I think with C.J. Burdell and Travis Dye, those are known commodities. Those guys can handle the workload. They've proven they can do it before. It's, it would just be a matter of who can be the third guy. And I think – let's say Sean Dollars isn't an option for that. I still think between Trey Benson, who we think is going to be back sometime this summer after he broke his leg. And we think, I think between Byron Cardwell and and seven McGee, two four-star running back recruits, the ducks will be fine in terms of trying to figure out that depth piece for the 2021 season. Like I'm not, I'm not overly concerned about the ability to run the football. um, If dollars is like the only one of those guys not available. Um, Like, but the, 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 I think the part that I think is bigger and as is and as the as MVH genetics notes, like it could pose could pose kind of an interesting scenario in 2022. Like I think we both expect Ferdell and and died to probably this is probably their last season. 
I know the COVID rule allows both of them, in theory, to return for the 2022 season. Maybe Die does elects to do that. I don't know what his NFL draft stock is. Maybe he just loves the program and wants to just be a, you know, be a duck as long as he possibly can. I don't know. But I think you have to prepare for the realistic possibility that 2022, both those guys are done. Yeah, I think you, I think you do have to plan on that. Yeah, and if that's the case, not having dollars play in 2021 really is significant because you're going – into 2022, I think a lot of people expect dollars to be the next big guy, you know, the, the next primary ball carrier. Um, and again, we haven't seen any proof on the field, and that's not necessarily Sean's fault because he's performed well when he's been out there. But like, you know, in, in 2019, 2020, we have not really seen enough from dollars to know if he can handle that kind of a role. In 2021, I think one of the parts of this from the running back room was how much can they get out of dollars and preparing him for being maybe that guy. So I do think if, if dollars, and again, we don't know the extent of the injury exactly. We know he's missing spring. Uh, Chris Bull said he'd return sometime during the season, which I thought was pretty notable. He could have said sometime during the offseason or for fall camp. Um, that leads me to believe this injury could be significant. So, like, let's say hypothetically dollars doesn't play or, or plays just a couple games at the end of the year. I think that's pretty significant for the running back room in 2022 um, in terms of, like, you don't necessarily at that point have a clear picture of who your, your starter is for 2022. And that's not to say these guys can't figure it out. And I think the talent will rise to the top. And there's a lot of young talent at running back on this roster between Dollars, Benson, Cardwell, and McGee, and then whoever they would sign in 2022. So I'm not saying they can't be good, but you'd certainly, I think the preference would be that some one of these younger guys would sort of solidify themselves in 21 um, to prepare for 2022. So you're not entering that spring going like, I have kind of no certainty of like who the guy is. I think it'd be nice to have somebody kind of make that clear um, before you get to spring in 22. Yeah. I, it would be very beneficial. Like, I, I feel like running back is maybe the one position that you could step onto the field right away and pick things up quickly and, and go as a high school recruit or a newcomer and be, be pretty effective. We've seen Oregon guys do that too, right? Like yeah. Royce Freeman, Thomas Tyner, Michael James, I guess is a red shirt, but like freshmen come in at running back and have had some success, even Burdell and Die. Um, but like you listen to Mastro, you listen to Crystal Ball, you listen to Mirabal, uh, Mastro, the running back coach, Mirabal, the line coach, obviously Crystal Ball being the head coach. And they always emphasize like if you can't protect the blind side of the quarterback, or if you can't pick up that blitzing guy, and give our quarterback one extra split second to throw the football, you can't play. And that's that's going to be like the biggest adjustment for anybody out there that comes in and replaces Diane Verdell. And I am with you. I do think you have to plan on both those guys not being on the roster in 2022 um, for now. It's going to be a heck of a lot easier and more comfortable going into that offseason knowing that, hey, like this player B got – 75 carries in the 2021 football season over over a 13 or a 14 game schedule and while he wasn't the the primary ball carrier he got enough sample size where we feel confident that he's the guy going into next year he can do the job he'll be effective and that's what's going to be so interesting going into the season now is is Cristobal says dollars will be back at some point but at the same time like is that November? Is is that middle right. of October? Is yeah. that September? Like when like he could get three games, he could get nine games in, in during the season. And 
This puts a huge importance on freshman Trey Benson, Brian Caldwell, and Seven McGee, all three of those guys. One of them has to emerge in fall camp. None of them are available for spring ball right now. Benson's doing like individual agility stuff, but he can't, you know, he broke his leg during the season. He can't, he's not there yet. Um, He's rehabbing still. Uh, So none of these guys are on campus right now, and you're going to have to have one of them show up for fall camp and basically be like, Hey, we got to give you 50 to 85 carries a game, you know, a year this year. You got to be ready. You, 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 we've got, they've got to figure out a way to get somebody some kind of carries to know what you have because you don't want to go into the 2020 season not knowing what you have at running back. Agreed. I think w- just one last part of this that I think we kind of overlooked, but that's fair is with C- with CJ Verdell's injury history, if, if there are depth concerns, like you do get concerned about, like, boy, if he goes down, now you're looking oh, at a huge. scenario. Yeah, I mean, now you're looking at a scenario. Really, it's it could be Travis Die again, but without kind of you know the Cyrus Habibi Likio who's a known commodity, and it could just literally be Travis Die and then Seven McGee and Tre- Trey Benson and Byron Cardwell, and how does that sort out? So, like, I do think you know, I I I, I, well, I, I don't say I overlooked the the 2021 season in terms of the impacts of a dollar's injury. But I do think it's it's worth noting with the history of CJ Verdell, like it has to be brought up. Like anybody who follows this program or this team knows he is. What I don't know, I don't know. You know, is it bad luck? Is he injury prone? Whatever you want to call it, he just has had a really hard time staying on the field. And if that this is this would be the ultimate year where you hope he bucks that trend because if he can stay healthy, and you've got some already got a little bit of injury, you know, situations around that position if he can stay healthy and be just that rock and that solidifying force, like I'm not that concerned, but I do think you have to at least be aware of the possibility that this position group could be, you know, is susceptible more so than I think the past couple of years where at least you had Travis Dye and Cyrus Sibibulika, two guys who played a lot before. And I'm not saying they can't get better production at running back than they got from a Cyrus Sibibulika who, you know, I think was somewhat limited in what he could provide. Like I do think there's some talent on this roster, but I do think you have to be also uh, aware and it's worth pointing out like MVH did in the, in the original question of, yeah, like CJ Verdell has a real extensive injury history. And if he goes down along with dollars, who again, we don't know exactly what the prognosis or the timeline for a return is how, when he's available, how much he'll be available. Mm-hmm. But if both those guys are out hypothetically, that puts a ton of pressure on one or two of these younger guys to be ready along with Travis Dye. And Travis Dye, I think, showed this last year. He can kind of handle in spot duty being the primary guy. But I also think, you, to me, and I don't want to diminish what he did this last season because I thought he was great, but I also think the running game had almost historically poor production. Sure. You know, the worst rushing season in over a decade was last season. And I don't know if you really want to rely on another season where he's your primary guy. You need to get someone else to step in. Um, and be able to carry some of the workload. All right, second one from at Luis Bond. How important is it for Oregon football to get a couple of blowout games this year so that the inexperienced young players can get some needed needed game reps? Um, sure, I mean, I think, talked about that at the running back spot. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, and, and I think that that's a probably actually kind of a natural segue here is, I guess, you know, like in theory, you'd want a couple, you know, these couple of early games here, Fresno State, Ohio State, you know you're going to – Ohio State, you're going to be playing your guys the whole way. I don't think there's any doubt about it. 
but yeah, those, those first couple of non-conference games. And of course you then have Arizona and a PAC 12 game. I think that game's pretty winnable um, to, to maybe be a blowout. So like, if you could have, I don't know, like, I mean, Matt, like, are you expecting Fresno state to be a blowout game? I, mean, I don't know if that's even fair to expect just cause that's a program that's pretty respected and has some decent athletes. Um, that would want, be one though, where I think if you're an Oregon fan, you'd love for that to be a blowout to get some opportunity, but like, I, I think you're more confident that the games where you get some reserve guys, a lot of step, you know, snaps would be Stony Brook, September 18th. That's your final non-conference game. And then honestly, Arizona at home, I don't want to completely sleep on the Wildcats, but I guess I'm completely sleeping on the Wildcats. They just lost so much. Um, look like a team that could, you know, they, how many games are they realistically going to win this season? that might be a game to get it going. But like, I, I mean, I do think it's important at, at a couple of these spots, um, especially with the running back situation, especially at quarterback. Um, you know, if, if you could get one or two of these younger guys on the field a little bit, assuming Anthony Brown um, winds up the starter, I think, you know, even at wide receiver, it would be great to see more opportunity for maybe a Troy Franklin or a Dante Thornton tight end, same thing. So, yeah, I think, I think there is a lot of value in winning a couple of these games going away to provide reps for younger players. You know, at the same time, there's also, I think a huge value in winning close competitive games where you have to make winning plays in the fourth quarter. So you want to have a mix and match of that, but I do think from a depth perspective and especially at a couple positions that we just highlighted, I think also maybe uh, at some defensive spots, like maybe at linebacker and corner, you've got some young guys who haven't played a ton that you want to see out there, get some reps and games. Um, but I think there's a certain balance of like you all, I mean, not, that's not to say you don't want to win blowouts because you want to be as dominant as you can, but there is also, I think a benefit of, of playing maybe a closer game earlier in the season where, where you have some kind of pressure cooker reps late in fourth quarters. I think, I think uh, like Fresno state, like that's a game where you should be challenged in the first half challenged for probably a good chunk of that third quarter and then pull away and maybe for two series on offense and two series on defense, you get your rotation guys, your, 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 you know, younger players into the game. Stony Brook up. Absolutely. That that's a game where if Oregon is still playing their starters in, in the third quarter, something is wrong. Something, something way bigger uh, than a loss or a close game in week three uh, is on the table. Um I'm with you on Arizona. I think that's a game in which you should blow them out. Um, I, I also kind of look at Washington state and think like maybe the Cougars are, are I mean, I, I'm going to say it. I'm probably going to regret it, but that's probably another one that, you know, the talent disparity is pretty, pretty wide. The games played in Eugene, you should win that game convincingly. Um, yeah. Like I, I feel like that's probably another one that you you throw out on there, and then you know like again on paper, and this is what makes you know competition so awesome is games aren't won on paper, but right now in April we can do that, and the the talent disparity between Oregon and Oregon State that should be another one where you get some of your guys in. I'm not saying like. Oregon goes in and, and just destroys the Beavers or Washington State and right. a halftime that your 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 starters are all out. But those are games in which you should be able to find ways to get your younger players onto the field, and they need to do that. They need to find, you know, I think you need to like even if Anthony Brown is the starting quarterback, you you need to find time for basically all three of your freshman quarterbacks. Like if if Anthony Brown is 
clearly your number one QB. I really hope Oregon finds a way to say, okay, Ty, we're going to play you three games. Uh, Jay, we're going to play you three. Robbie, we're going to play you three. And we're going to preserve your red shirts, all three of you. And we're going to keep one game available in case something happens and an injury to, to Anthony happens and we need to, you know, put you in for spot duty, but that's, you know, beyond it, um, you know, and, and finish out a game. And, you know, that way you don't burn your, your red shirt. Um, I, I think that that would be beneficial. You know, the freshman at receiver, you know, Jalen uh, Red and Johnny Johnson are going are gonna to be gone after this season. Theoretically, Pittman could be gone after the season. Same with Devin Williams. Yeah. I mean, you, you could lose your top four guys. And so you, you need to get some of those receivers, some reps. Um, I think along the offensive line, that's another one. Like I really hope that I, I think probably one of the, the biggest catch, you know, hindsight is, is always 2020 type of a deal for coaching is I don't think crystal ball. I think if you gave him the option, he probably would do it over. Um, and some of those 2019 games, there were blowouts and he basically kept his, his five in there the entire game. I would have loved to have seen some of the younger guys get a, just a couple more reps, you know, in some of those blowout games. So you knew what you had a little bit more going into the 2020 football season. And so, you know, there's a possibility your entire offensive line could be gone after the 2021 year. So, yeah, I think that's another position where you've got to throw some, some of these younger guys in if you get the opportunity. All right, third one. Uh, this is an interesting question. I don't think we've ever asked, answered anything quite like this, but from at CK Quack, who's a player that you just love and root for because of off-the-field reasons? Someone who's a great guy, has a great story, or is a killer interview? Um, you know, the first one that popped to my head, and then I sadly recognized he's no longer the team, was just with Cyrus, who I, I really had a fantastic time chatting with over the years. and um, Really just a genuinely good guy I still remember after they beat Washington and Seattle he had such a big game there he came up and started giving media members hugs after the interviews because he was you know just in such a state of I guess euphoria and excitement in the moment so I, I always kind of had a special spot spot for Cyrus and that's of course he's not Boise State and so maybe I'll root for him from afar um, a couple guys on the team currently who I think are pretty easy to root for I think from a great story perspective it's the, the top one to me is Ryan Walk yeah um, I think that one's pretty easy in terms of identifying former walk-on from Eugene, Oregon, grew up going to Oregon games, um, diehard duck fan, you know, uh, developed a love for the sport, watching the ducks. Now he gets to play and not only does he get to play, but he started this last year was a, I think an all conference vote for, by the media. Um, I mean, like that's, that's a pretty dang good story. I mean, that's, that's, like, it's kind of the almost a Ruby equivalent kind of a story, except for he's actually getting an opportunity to really contribute on the field. So um, there, there, there's one that's really logical. And then from a couple guys who are, I've always enjoyed talking to from interview perspectives that I, I, I don't know if I like say I root for them more or less because of it, but who, I've just always enjoyed their insights. Um, I think Verone McKinley, the third, probably the brightest, player that i've spoken to for i don't know a long time i mean like the ultimate favorite interview and again now that someone on the team was was lamar winston a couple of years ago was just the best like I, I, incredibly funny great sense of humor nobody on this team's quite that that kind of personality i think arian springs another one but like Verona mckinley i think and, and another one johnny johnson i think those two guys i've always enjoyed catching up with them and, and seeing how they're doing and it's it's fun especially with johnny that he came back this year more opportunity to chat with him um 
I don't know, Matt, who, who are some guys for you that maybe I haven't noted? I think Ryan Walk's the easy one from a story perspective. Yeah, I think you pretty much hammered um, the current guys pretty well. Um, I do think Verone McKinley is awesome. Um, I, I think Ryan Walk is good. I do think Sean Dollars is really good as well. It's a um, good one. Kayvon, by the way, is a great Kayvon is Kayvon is like above football. Like I, I just like listening to him just talk about anything, really. Like it's pretty cool to see that happen. Um his story is pretty cool. Um I, I think former players from a football perspective, like Troy Dye was always awesome. Yeah. Um and I, I, I think Shane Lemieux was another guy that like he, he got it. He understood that we had jobs to do. And he also like, he had a filter, but he was also like honest. Like if they got their butts kicked, he'd come out and, and say that and he wouldn't beat around the bush. And, you know, and he would, you know, he would talk to us about some, you know, he, he, he'd say some stuff and then he'd be like, Hey, I, I, can you not put that out there? And, and yeah, that'd be really helpful for me, but then he would go on and explain why he said that. And it'd all be like off the record type stuff. And it'd be really fantastic stuff from Shane. And then he'd, he'd go back to being on the record and continue to give you really good stuff. Um, I think Lamar Winston's another guy that, Oh yeah. Like a lot like uh, um, Kayvon Thibodeau that, you know, just really good perspective on life. Um Keenan Lowe, you want to go way back. Keenan Lowe was always a really good interview. Um, I also, if you want to flip it to, to basketball, um, I think Jordan Bell was always a fantastic interview. Kenny Wooten was always a fantastic interview. Yeah, um, agree. And I, I think from a, a story perspective, there isn't anyone that I've covered that tops Chris Boucher. Like, it's true like homeless as a high school kid doesn't play high school basketball, picks it up playing like a, like intramural or like pick up ball on, on, on a court. And it lends, you know, leads to him, you know, finding a spot on a postgraduate team, which then land, you know, lands him at a Juco school. He then transfers to another Juco school and plays really well there. Oregon finds out about him and he comes to Oregon as like, kind of this like wow he's super raw and you know we think he's going to be good but he's probably going to need some time and turns out as a as a junior right away he's really good but then you you find out that he's got to petition the NCAA for an extra year of eligibility he gets that comes back for a senior year and turns you know turns in another really strong year where he's now draft you know he's draftable and he looks like he's going to be like a middle you know, second round, early second round pick. And then he tears his ACL and like, he was devastated, but you could totally see the joy in his face. And, and he still did interviews and all of that as the ducks made the tournament. Um, I, I think that was, an, that, that story is just like, I'll never, I don't think we'll ever find someone that tops that. No, it's a great one. No, for sure. And from a story perspective, it's pretty hard to beat. I remember, I mean, not, not that it's the same kind of a story, but I remember Paul White had to go through so much his final yeah. year at Oregon with family members and people he knew being sad, I mean, being killed in Chicago. Um, that was, I mean, you're just talking about great, not, not that that's a great story, but just people that you rooted for because of things off the court. That was another one that, that came to mind. Um, 
What one that you know you you I guess the thought of kind of foreign players popped into my head. I, I, a guy on the current team who I've always liked talking with, who isn't quite as prominent, but I think deserves to at least be mentioned. People know who he is probably, but Tom Snee, the punter. Yeah. Um, I've had a more than a handful. You know, I love my special teams. I've I've chatted with him more than a handful of times. Really great guy. Um, one of the you know one of the players where you get him on a one on one interview and he'll ask questions about how your life is doing and remember things you talked about the previous time. Just those kind of things stand out. So. Um, and one thing I wanted to just say that, you know, it kind of popped in my mind as we were thinking kind of this exercise of thinking about players we really kind of enjoyed getting to know is we're missing a lot of the ability to really build those relationships yes. and get to know the guys right now. Cause and it's no, I'm not criticizing this, you know, the football program for how they're handling things during a pandemic. Cause I understand it's, it's challenging and you want to keep athletes safe and want to keep us safe, you know, et cetera. But everything's done via zoom and it's all done um, very formally. You raise your hand, you answer your questions. You don't, you ask your questions, they answer. You don't have the opportunity in the past where you would be like, Hey, I want to talk to, let's say Kayvon Tibbet. I want to grab Kayvon for uh, an interview. And I then just kind of go chat with him for, uh, you know, five minutes on my own off to the side. And maybe the first couple questions are just kind of questions about how he's acclimating to lots, you know, to Eugene from being from LA and, you know, you know what, what he likes to do and, and those kind of things, you kind of just kind of, you know, shoot the breeze with the guys and get to know them that way. And then you kind of jump into the football stuff. That relationship is a little different because there is a little bit of that um, familiarity. It's, it's not, it's, it's not quite as like a formal, it feels kind of like a conversation. Whereas, whereas now, and again, I, I'm not criticizing, but it's just the way it is. It's the reality is it's harder for us with some of these younger guys to really build the relationship because you don't really get to have these kind of, exchanges it's all basically like who you know who's behind you at linebacker how do you like the new you know tim druder's new system etc cetera, etc cetera. those aren't bad things but in terms of like kind of getting to know the players a little bit i feel like we are missing out on a little bit of that because like even when we would be out of the football facility matt like there were some you know it was, it was kind of interesting seeing which players would come over and, and chat with us even not during interviews you know like yeah. we're just sitting there waiting and, and you know preparing our practice reports kind of out in the hatfield Allen uh center complex uh, courtyard area and we always sat at a certain table and some guys would always come by and say hi or or you know give us a nod or wave at us or whatnot and that kind of thing stood out and we're kind of missing some of those small things so not, not trying to get on too much of a tangent but just saying I, I do miss that element of just kind of being out and around the guys and, and getting to know them that I think we're we're kind of missing um, in the last year year or so all right switching gears now we're going into some recruiting questions fourth question and the first on the recruiting side from at be a duck 93 what is the timeline for the next wave of football commitments after spring ball may after official visits in june all of the above um like matt, matt is it really fair to say there's going to be a wave of commitments i mean like do are you anticipating like because and we i guess we do see this happen and especially last year where it was like there was a couple months where there wasn't a lot of activity and then suddenly it was like, boom, 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 boom. They're picking up a commitment every Friday. Are we expecting something similar? Do you have a timeline on this? Or, or is it just kind of at this point, they've got their eight commitments, they're positioning themselves well with other players, and it just kind of happens when it happens? Yeah, I don't think, I don't think there's going to be a wave um, in the immediate future. There might be a couple that pop here and there um, during spring ball and maybe the month after. But I, I think the next chance that a wave happens is probably in June when guys start taking their official visits and, and, you know, 
there is a list that's starting to be built of players that are taking visits in June. And um, there's some guys that are going to be, you know, in that, in, in that area where you look at this and think, okay, like this guy comes and, and he, he might make that visit or he might make that commitment. Um, if you're wanting to know who, you know, to watch someone that might commit, you know, prior to the June, mid June, you know, late June, early July timeframe, like maybe a, a, a Dominique McKenzie. Um, there is a crystal ball in for him from Blair, uh, three-star wide receiver out of Pineview High School in St. George, Utah. Um, the Ducks have offered him a scholarship, really speedy dude, really fast. And someone that, you know, he might look at this and say, Hey, like Oregon's got some higher ranked guys on the board. I have a committable offer. I don't want to you know, miss out and boom goes in and, and, and makes that, makes that trip, um, makes that commitment. He is set to visit Oregon June 18th. So, I mean, it could be a, a case where maybe he does make that decision after, um, We'll see. I mean, and just from a perspective of who this guy is, he played high school football in Utah this past fall, had 84 catches for 1,700 yards and 18 touchdowns. Pretty um, good. Pretty yeah, good. Yeah. Uh, extremely elite downfield threat um, and can stretch the field. And, you know, that's probably the one thing, like if you're looking at Oregon's, you know, receiver room right now and you're trying to, to figure out kind of what they need because – they did sign a couple of the nation's best receivers last year. And you might think, well, is there really a need then? I think the true need that they have at that receiver spot is to find a burner, you know, a guy that you can just send on go routes and defenses have to, you know, go over the top and, and bracket him um, and, and devote a couple of defenders to him because if he gets behind you, he's going to score. Um, and that, that's kind of the, the one, I think, athlete that they need at the receiver spot moving forward is, you know, keep, keep getting best guys available. But if you had to have one, one receiver, it's probably a burner. All right. Now we're switching gears a little bit. We'll finish up with some basketball talk um, from at all Hayden. Who are some key transfers that the men's basketball team has a chance for this upcoming year? Hashtag odds and audibles. Thanks, Hayden, for using the hashtag. Um, this becomes even more notable because I think when this question was probably asked, Oregon had one fewer scholarship available. Jalen Terry and Jonathan Lawson, Jonathan Lawson actually on, on Monday, both kind of like finalized their decisions to not be on the team. Matt, before we even jump into the, some of the transfers here, they have eight scholarships, I think, kind of locked in right now, assuming nobody else leaves what's the number that you think they'd like to hit? How many more additions do you think they need this offseason to get to a good number? Because I think prior to Chandler Lawson, prior to Jonathan Lawson, and now Jalen Terry, you kind of felt like maybe add one or two guys. Now it feels like you probably need to get three, maybe even four players added to this this team, um, whether that be via grad transfer, JUCO transfer, prep. Um, what, do you, what do you kind of see the math is and then maybe run through some names that, that Hayden was asking for in terms of transfer pro- prospects? Yeah, so this is a team that's got two seniors on its roster right now and Will Richardson and Eric Williams. And then they have got three soft, four sophomores 
Ufale Dante, Frank Kepnog, Aaron Estrada, and Luke Ware. And then they have got two freshmen and Nathan Biddle and then an older freshman and Isaac Johnson, a former four-star top 100 recruit, seven-footer that took a two-year LDS uh, mission. Um, he will be joining the team in June. So they've got eight scholarship guys. They've got five available scholarships right now. Um, they need guards, most importantly. That's, that is going to be the key here because without Jalen Terry, you now – have lost your starting point guard of the future. He was supposed to be the, you know, heir or parent to replacing Will Richardson when he went pro the, the plan, the original plan. And I think this factored into probably Terry's decision was when Terry was being recruited and signed with Oregon and then came and then when he enrolled at Oregon in the summer last year, the expectation was, Will Richardson was on a three-year path. He was he he was on a, a path to get to the NBA after three seasons. He would be the backup to Peyton Pritchard for two seasons, or for really for one, be his you know running mate in the backcourt for for another year, be the guy running the show for his third year, and then go off into the NBA. Um, and then he got hurt at the beginning of this season. That kind of slowed down his NBA talk. And he's had to come back for a senior year now. And so I, I think that factored into it. And if, if you remember Peyton, when he read, when he was the point guard, even as a freshman in high in, 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 at Oregon, he would often play 30, 35 minutes. And then in his junior and senior years, it was often 38, 39, even 40 minutes out of 40 minutes. And Richardson is in the same boat this past year when he played in 16 games, only one of those games, he played less than 31 minutes. He played 10 games where he played 35 or more minutes. And I think he had four where he played all 40 minutes. And so if you're Jalen Terry and you're looking at this, it's like, yeah, I'm going to be the starter in 2022, 2023 now, but I'm not going to play probably more than five or 10 minutes a game in this upcoming season. And I've got aspirations of getting to the NBA. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I can't really play shooting guard a ton. So I'm going to have to go somewhere else. Cause I need to get going on my timeline and I, I get it. So Oregon's going to have to recruit a point guard. It could be Aaron Estrada long-term. He is a combo guard. Um, I, I, I would prefer if, if you're, if I was Dana Altman, I would go out and try and find a younger guard that's got a couple years of eligibility. I think the one that instantly pops into my head is Devin Askew. Um, he played his freshman year at Kentucky after enrolling early, six foot three. He has transferred out of the program. He's from Southern California. He was, a, uh, I think, a, before he reclassified to the 2020 class, I think he was a five-star in 2021 and he was like the top point guard in the class. Oregon offered him, Louisville offered him, Arizona, Arkansas, Kansas, everybody that's elite offered him. He's got a NBA comp of Trey Burke, first round potential. Um, so I think that's probably if you're Oregon and you're Dana Altman, best case scenario, you go and find a guy like Devin Askew, who's got four years of eligibility 
Um, he's a highly regarded prospect and coming out of high school, he's, he's got a familiarity with your program because you previously recruited him. Um, that would be someone I, I would look to and say like, Hey, let's go and bring him in. He, he'll be our backup point guard for Will for one year. And then he, he moves up into that starter role. Another guy that would make sense to me is Boogie Ellis um, from Memphis. He's another guy from SoCal. He's transferred. He's a sophomore. He's played uh, a ton of basketball for the Tigers the last two seasons. He's got 42 starts in his career. Um, average 10 points this past season, eight points as a freshman, um, only 1.5 assists either game, but he was kind of more of an off guard role. Um, another combo guard, Oregon offered him. That would be one that I would try and, and see if, you know, if he's got interest in coming, you know, coming back to Oregon. Um, but you need to find a point guard. I, I think from a long-term perspective, from a short-term perspective, you need shooting. And you need to go out and you need to find a guy that's a go-to scorer. Um, there's a couple that are in the conference that are in the portal. Matt Bradley from Cal. I think that's best case scenario. That's probably who you would go out and sign to fill that shooting guard role. Um, he's six foot four. He's 200 pounds, 220 pounds. He looks like a linebacker, like a football player. But 18 points a game the last couple of seasons. All league, you know, all three years he's been in the – in the Pac-12 was all league, was an all freshman player and then an all conference player the last two years, uh, and this is a guy that that's put up 18 a game efficiently when he knows the opponent's scouting report is okay. Our primary job is we need to stop Matt Bradley. Our secondary job is we need to stop Matt Bradley. Our third job is we need to stop Matt Bradley. Like he he's played on a team where he has had no help and yet he still efficiently scores 18 a game. Can, can, can create his own shot, um, can do a lot. So I, I, would, I would go after him. Um, I, I think you also need to add some kind of post presence. Um, I, probably not a center because you have Biddle, you have Kepnog, you have Dante on the roster. You're also bringing in Isaac Johnson. Um, center is not the, the most important spot here. But if you could go out and find someone that's like a power forward, small forward or power forward center, give you a little bit of versatility. And in the perfect best case scenario, you locate someone that can play all three, you know, like, a, like, and when I'm saying that is like a Eugene Amarui, um, a Dylan Brooks, an Elgin cook, a Dwayne Benjamin, you know, someone that you feel comfortable saying, Hey, we're going to put you out there. You're going to start at power forward. We're going to bring in this guy. You're going to bump up the center for a little bit. And then we're going to bring this guy in to play center for a little bit. And you're going to bump down to small forward. We're going to play real big and have that ability to do that. So that that's kind of the needs. Um, I've named off a couple of other guys that make sense. I would look at um, going to duckterritory.com. We've got a story up of a big board. I'm going to do some updates again to it so it's gonna be freshly updated with some new names uh that are in the portal that Oregon's looking at that i know Oregon's looking at um and also some guys that make sense for Oregon to look at so and 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 this is the one thing i'll say about transfer portal recruiting is you might see some guys hit the portal and then commit before you know Oregon really gets involved or Oregon misses out 
And don't freak out. There are over 1,200 guys in the portal. And every it feels like every day there's like five to ten guys that hit the portal that you're like, that guy could help Oregon either this year or down the road. Like literally as we're talking, doing this podcast, it's happened again. Ian Martinez is a six-foot-three guard from Utah, from Limon, Costa Rica, um, a freshman, uber-athletic, Really talented guy. Went for 18 points in a, in a double OT loss to to Utah in the Pac-12 tournament. USC. Um, USC, sorry, yeah. And then had 12 against Arizona State in the Pac-12 tournament. Um, he had 10 points against USC uh, in a win to end the year. Um, I, I just think this is a guy, like, long-term-wise, you take a flyer on. 50% you know field goal percent shooter this year shot 33% from the from 3 83% on free throws uh uber uber athletic like this guy is just a freak athlete there are tons of these types of guys out there where you go out and you you lock in on your superstar transfer of the year you know who's going to be your Eugene Armory or your LJ Figueroa and, and you go out and you find that guy maybe you need two of them and then after that you just go out and you find two or three more of these you know transfers that played minimal minutes at other schools that have multiple multiple years left and you develop them that's that's how big college basketball is going to go i think you know you're going to go out you're going to sign you know that five-star recruit like oregon did with nathan biddle you're going to go out and you're going to sign a four-star recruit like they did with isaac johnson and then you know, you'll, you'll bring in one to maybe three high school guys and the rest of it's going to be hitting the portal. And every year adding two or three guys from the portal, one being, you know, a, a, maybe it's a, a low major or a mid-major superstar going up a level, or maybe it's a, a guy that's a number two or a number three at a high level school, just once in a, a different, different venue, a different, you know, different experience. And then you go out and, and you find one or two guys that are high major, you know, programs or, you know, like an Aaron Estrada's case, a guy who was overlooked, balled out as a freshman at the low major level and wants to go up a level or wants a change of scenery and it's got three or four years left of eligibility. Let's wrap it up here, Matt, with a final question from at March Madness 83. Last time the men's basketball replaced one of its three assistants by hiring Mike Menega. The job was open 160 days, at least publicly. Given Tony Stubblefield shared the recruiting recognition with Menega, what's the timetable for this hire, and how solid are remaining Stubblefield players? Um, I don't know if that question was asked prior to Jalen Terry or, or Chandler Lawson leaving. Matt, like, just to start there, are there other players that Stubblefield was integral in, in recruiting to Oregon that you think are susceptible to leave? And then um, – but jump in afterwards, I guess. With he, your, he helped recruit um, Richardson and Eric Williams to, to Oregon. Um, I would be completely blown away if either of those guys left. They love Oregon. You know, they've, ex- you know, they've expressed to Oregon that they're staying. Um, it, it would be a big shock though. Um, if either of those guys left, uh, they've, they've communicated to Oregon that they're coming back. Everybody else, you know, Dante, Kepnog, Estrada, and uh, those guys are all um, Mike Menega recruits. Um, Luke Wer, Nathan Biddle, 
and Isaac Johnson are all Kevin McKenna recruits. Um, those, you know, two staff members are still on staff and I don't want to like Stubblefield, the loss of Stubblefield is going to hurt Oregon. Um, it, it will be something that they will be able to overcome. And I don't want to diminish his impact because it's huge. Like you, you go through the guys that he helped bring into Oregon and you go through the success of the years that Oregon has had, and he's a mainstay on the staff. Um, so I don't want to diminish that. I'm not trying to say that he's going to be easily replaceable, but what has made Oregon such a good program the last couple of years, the last decade is Dana Altman has built a staff in which he has always had two really, really good recruiters like that go across the country and that have connections everywhere. McKenna doesn't really get his, his credit. He, he should, I mean, he, he, he is also a, a very good recruiter, but it, the heavy lifting has always fallen on two guys originally with Stubblefield and Brian fish. And now most recently it was Stubblefield and Mike Menega. And so when people are freaking out and I understand why that, Oh my God, all these guys are leaving. How are we going to get recruits now? And da, 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 da. these are some of the players that Mike has been responsible to bringing into the program. Dylan Brooks, Chris Boucher, Dylan Ennis, Chris Duarte and follow Dante. Frank Kepnog, he's brought in Aaron Estrada. He helped secure commitments um, from Peyton Pritchard, from Nathan Biddle, Isaac Johnson. Um, very important guy, just as much as Tony Stubblefield. They've still got one of those two guys. And, you know, Oregon, is some of the, I just rattled off some of the best players that play at Oregon in the last 10 years. Brooks, Boucher, Duarte. Um, and you could probably argue that Dylan Ennis has had, you know, some of the biggest impacts uh, as a grad transfer. I mean, they made the final four the year he played and he was, in, you know, Mike was in, in, in very important in bringing him into the program as well. So, you know, Oregon still has their connections. They still have, you know, a really good staff that can recruit. Now, when does this next hire happen? Who do they go after? They're going to have to hire, a guy that's willing to go across the country. They were very lucky to get a guy of Stubblefield's age um, to be willing to do what he did. And in a normal year, go out and be on the road every third day and, you know, fly into Eugene on a Tuesday, get to practice, be on a flight that afternoon to go somewhere else to see a recruit, go back to Eugene on Wednesday for another practice, get back on a flight that afternoon to go see another recruit play, get back into Eugene Thursday afternoon for a game, and then be back on the road again to go and see another player play Sunday night. Like that's, that's incredibly difficult. It's a, it's a, it's a job that has to happen, has to get done. Um, And it's typically one that you see younger assistants do, you know, they're, they're the ones that are, allocated towards being on the road, you know, all nonstop. And Oregon was very lucky to have Stubblefield be willing to do that. And they're going to have to replace him with someone that's, that's capable of doing that. Um, they're going to also need to, you know, to bring in someone that's got national connections. And I, I don't necessarily think you need to look at a, a school that's at power five level. I mean, it'd be great if you could, but I mean, 
Stubblefield came from Cincinnati before he, he got at Oregon. They weren't a national program. Um, Menega came from Buffalo, I believe, if I remember right, um, before he got to Oregon. Uh, you look at Brian Fish when he was part of the original staff. Uh, I believe he came from San Diego. Um, you know, so so you you go out and you can find some younger guys, and you can find some guys that aren't at high level programs um, right now to have success. The Oregon brand is tremendous; it will help. Um, there is one name though that you have to call, and that's USC associate head coach Jason Hart. You have to call him probably not going to happen. USC will do whatever it takes to keep him, but he's like the one assistant on the West coast that everyone has to call if they have an opening. Hey, he knows everybody. He's very good. He's a young up and coming guy. He's got success. Call him. See if, see if he'll listen. And then from there you, you, you branch out. There are some options. Um, if you're looking at it, like from within the, the, the coaching family of Oregon. Like I do think there are some names that make some sense here. And the one that I, I think makes a ton of sense and is off the beaten path at the same time is former Oregon duck, Aaron Brooks. Um, He is currently coaching within the New York Knicks organization. He's currently in the G league. I think that's a guy he, he has a huge following in the Seattle area. Uh, he's a young guy. He knows he has NBA experience. He knows Oregon's program. I think that's someone you, you look at and say, do you want to come? You're in coaching right now. Do you want to come coach at your alma mater? Um, and if he's willing to put in the grind and, and be relatable from recruits, which I think he is, he could be someone that could do a really good job uh, at the Oregon level and has Oregon ties. Um, I would also, another Oregon name that I would throw out there that's super off the beaten path. And I'm going to have a list of names, um, here in a little bit on the site on duckterritory.com, if not already. Um, but that's Kenny Cradwell. Um, he was a three year, uh, GA and worked under, the Oregon Ducks and Dana Altman um, and is now currently coaching in a very small school in Texas at the division one level. Um, I think that's someone he, he, everywhere he's gone, he's done a really good job. I, I think he's got experience with Oregon and Dana Altman and, you know, he, he knows a lot of people that could be one that makes a lot of sense for, for Oregon, if you want to go that direction, if you want to keep someone in your program, um, or I, I should say within your, your Oregon family, if you will. Um, I don't necessarily think that's going to be like the, 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 the best, no, I'm going to say the best way, but, um, there are, there are a lot of really good other options out there. If, you go outside of the Oregon family. Um, I also think another name that, that could make a ton of sense is um, you, you look at 
oh boy, well, the, the name is escaping me. Um, all of a sudden, Virginia Tech coaching staff, Frazier. Um, wow. Here, hold on one second. Let me pull it up. Name has escaped me completely. Um, almost there. This is just really good podcasting. This is the best podcasting. I'll do some talking while Matt finds the Virginia Tech coach. Uh, Chester uh, Frazier. Chester. Yeah. Guy that's recruited all over the country. Um Knows the East Coast where Oregon's recruiting is a young up and coming guy. Um, could could do really well at Oregon. Um, I th- I think you know he's in, he's an associate head coach. You you kind of look at that and think might be something that you know Oregon could could maybe give him a pay raise um, and, and see what happens there. And then another one that that could make some sense is Ron Coleman at Illinois. Um, he's an assistant coach there. Fourth season since joining the staff in April 2017. Uh, he's done a really good job of developing um, their guards. Also coached with Tim Miles at Colorado State when they went to the tournament. So um, I, I, I think there are a ton of names that are out there. We'll have a, a bigger list as well on DuckTerritory.com. But um, I, I don't expect this job to get figured out in the next couple of weeks. It might, um, but I, I think there's probably a better chance that this plays out in the next couple of months and Dana takes his time to make the right hire because one thing that's happened at Oregon, unlike with the football team, is there's not a lot of change with the staff, you know, it's pretty much, you know, Josh Jamison's the director of ops. He's been there for like 20 years in that role. Um, McKenna has been, you know, one of the top assistants in the conference all 11 years since Dana Altman's been there. Now um, Stubblefield is gone and he, he, he'd been there all 11 years prior to his, his, his departure. So, and even, you know, Menega has been there now, I think six years, uh, for the Ducks. So it, it, this is a case in which, you know, there's not a lot of turnover and they're going to want to make this higher and they want to make it right. And it's going to be one in which, uh, you know, I, I think it'll play out. It'll happen before the end of summer, but it might be a case in which, you know, this might go out for longer than a month or so. I'll say, I know you ran through a lot of names. It would be cool to see and of course, you want to make the hire that's best for the program. It would be cool to see like a former Oregon player of an Aaron Brooks caliber come back and coach at Oregon. Right. I know Fred Jones spent a little time, I think, with the Final Four team. Yep. Um, as a, I think a grad assistant, but that you don't see that happen very frequently. And and obviously, Brooks is you know one of the ten best players Oregon's probably had in school history somewhere in that discussion. Um, wanted to have a really nice NBA career and clearly is interested in coaching. That seems like a, a viable person to at least take a look at. And boy, I can't think of the last time in football or basketball where you brought back a star player of that caliber um, and he was an assistant on a staff, um, you know, aside from Fred Jones, who really wasn't an assistant assistant. So I, I think that's kind of an interesting name to throw out there um, and, and at least per- perked my interest thinking about how much of a 
how, how cool it was watching him play at Oregon and how cool it would be to see him maybe come back and, and do some coaching as well. It's going to do it for us here on the Ots and Audibles podcast. Um, thank you for submitting your questions. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for following us and subscribing to the show as always. And for more coverage, go to duckterritory.com. And until our next one, you've been listening to the Ots and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks.